Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week, we're reposting sermons from the recent Bible conference in Tucson, Arizona. Each day this week, you'll enjoy sermons that were preached in the evening services, plus one morning seminar for our Saturday episode. Even our free subscribers will get a full week of ad-supported episodes. But if you'd like to support world evangelism with early released episodes and an ad-free listening experience, then use the links in the show notes to subscribe today. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's sermon. Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 in the Word of God. I believe that every one of us was placed here on earth for a specific purpose. God has created each one of us with unique personalities. He's given us giftings and resources and calling. And the reality is that until we come into the kingdom of God, we we can only sense that something is missing from our lives. We spend our lives in this world sensing that there has to be more to life than what we're experiencing at any given time. We give ourselves to relationships and careers and hobbies and families and always reaching further and higher, thinking that if I just have a little bit more, I'm going to find that fulfillment that I know that I will find eventually if I just keep going. And then when we surrender our lives to Christ, he begins working in us and restoring us and rebuilding our lives. And all of a sudden, he begins using us in ways that we thought were unimaginable. We discover him taking even the most broken parts of us and using them for his glory. And then at some point, it all begins to make sense. I was created for a greater purpose than I ever realized. And it hits you like a ton of bricks. It's like your life is flashing before your eyes and all the good things and all the bad things and all the confusing things start to suddenly make sense. The the years of wondering and, and, and that sense of something missing starts to come together to make sense when God gets in the picture. And then there's another necessary surrender that comes with this revelation, and that is a surrender to his will. It is a denying of ourself that has consumed us our whole lives and occupied our minds and time. And it's a taking up of a cross that he has for us. And then that's when things begin to get real. (laughs) Gifts that we thought were for us, we realize were actually placed in us for him. Experiences that we've been through before we met him. He begins to make those experiences useful in ministering to others. He redeems our brokenness and he begins to restore us to our created intent and his will and his calling, his passions and his purposes begin to consume our lives. We think to ourselves, I wanna be a part of this because we see something bigger than we've ever seen before. We get a taste of being a part of what God is doing, and it becomes addicting to us. And then questions come to our mind, responsible questions like, what is the will of God for my life? What is God's specific purpose for me on this earth? 
And then how do I make sure that I don't miss it? We should have FOMO for the things of God. Should have a fear of missing out on the things of God. It should consume our lives. I have always lived with the idea that from the moment I got saved, I said, God, I don't ever want you to be waiting on me. I want to be waiting on you. I don't want you to have a need somewhere in the world and, and, and looking down at me and saying, man, I sure wish that Garrett would get his stuff together so I could use him. Let me just wait on him until he gets his stuff together. God, I want to be waiting on you. If it takes you five years or 10 years, but the moment you have a need, I want to be ready to respond. Many times we begin to overthink and overcomplicate the issue of God's will. We can spend time tormenting ourselves. We don't want to come to the end of our lives realizing that we've wasted his gifts and calling. We don't want to come to the end of our lives realizing, realizing that we have missed the mark of his will. And we sense that urgency of our calling. We feel the need. We feel the desperation of the world around us. We sense it. We know that there's an urgency to the hour and we begin to pray, God, I want your will to be done in my life. And then he speaks and he challenges us as an individual. He begins to lay down the cost involved in pursuing his will and purposes and it will cost you everything. One Bible scholar said Jesus has paid us the compliment of pitching his demands so high that they cannot be higher. And we have a decision to make. Am I willing to lay down my life for the one who laid down his life for me? Am I willing to be a living sacrifice dedicated to his kingdom purposes for my life? And this is the point where many turn away because the cost is too high. They're calculating things and thinking about family and friends and jobs and careers that God might ask us to leave. And we start to excuse ourselves. But the reality is that most of us, we, we don't do this uh, without thought, you know. We're, we're very clever now. We play the later game with God. We say, I will, but first let me. And we kick the can of his calling down the road of our lives. In our text, Jesus begins to reveal the greatest need for every one of his disciples. And he gives us the secret to success for our lives in the kingdom of God. And it's not very complicated. And he reveals that everything comes down to the pattern of our priorities or what we place first in our lives. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. 
But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. When you see the word first in the New Testament, it is one of two words that are very closely related to one another. There is the word proton, which means first in time, place, order, or importance. And then there's the word protos, pro being before, and that speaks of rank or dignity, meaning that this one needs to be ranked higher than all the others. When Jesus says this is first, he is saying this must be ranked the highest in your life. It is to be placed in the position of most importance above all other things. And all throughout God's word, he is trying to focus our attention in the arena of our priorities. There are good things in life that can easily become bad when they take first place. When we get the priorities of life out of whack, we begin to make bad decisions. And the most basic principle of priorities set forth for us in the word of God has to do with the idea of first. God's greatest declaration is that the first always belongs to him. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. This is something echoed throughout scripture. The Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus. They're constantly testing him and they're asking him in this particular time, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. No matter what you do in life, love God with everything first. You must love God first, and you must love him with all that you are, your whole being. And then Jesus moves on, and he says the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, some people will try to say, I love God by loving people. This is false. Loving God cannot be defined as loving your neighbor. They are different. Loving God is first, and loving your neighbor is second. Loving your neighbor requires that you love God first or you won't be able to love them properly. Loving your neighbor is the overflow or the fruit of loving God. And this is the pattern of priority for our ministry. First, you love God, and second, you love people. You will never be useful in your ministry to others unless you first love God. We see this when Jesus writes to the 40-year-old church in Ephesus. They're doing all the things they're supposed to be doing. They were judging false prophets as the apostle Paul challenged them to 
In Acts 20, when he was leaving and departing from them, he said, after my departure, many savage wolves will come in and they're protecting the flock. They're doing exactly 40 years later, plus years later, they're still doing what he asked them to do. They're toiling. The Bible says it's a labor that leads to exhaustion. They were a very busy church. They were laboring for God. They were hating the things that God hated. They were judging sin. They were enduring hardships. They had persevered. And then he brings the accusation against them. And it almost doesn't make sense in the context of all that he's praising them for. He says, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, first rank, priority, love, agape. John tells us that God is agape. You have left God as first place in your life. He is no longer first in your life. Something else has slipped in the way. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your zeal. Maybe it's a a career. But something has knocked your love for God out of first place. And this is no small matter to God. It bothers God enough to write to them about it. He's writing to them about it because they're probably not even aware of the problem. They might have been shocked when the letter was being read out loud, like maybe this letter got confused with another church. Look at what we are doing for God. How can you accuse us of leaving our first love? But it's such a travesty to God that he tells them, I will remove your lampstand. That represents their influence in the city. He says, if I'm not first in your life, then you will not be properly representing my heart to your city and the people that I'm trying to reach. And as a result, I will remove your influence. You might still be functioning, but you will have no influence. It is God who gives us influence in our cities. And it is God who will take it away if we leave our first love. The Apostle Paul makes this issue of priority very clear when he's bragging about the generosity of the Macedonian church. They're very generous even though they're experiencing severe trials and extreme poverty. They had given beyond their ability and they pleaded with the Apostle Paul just for the privilege of participating with him in the call of God. And then he sums it all up with an emphasis of their priorities in this ministry. And he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by his will. Second, They gave themselves to us. And the order here is not an accident. It's not a side thought. It is a deliberate highlight by the Apostle Paul of correct priorities that are causing this church to be such a blessing in the world around them. We all know the most infamous of these statements of Jesus on this topic. He's talking about people that are worrying about what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink. They're placing their concerns of life in first place. And Jesus says to them, no, 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 no. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. 
You know, anxiety will fill the life of the one who has their priorities out of whack. Everywhere you look, you'll see this pattern of priorities set forth in the word of God. What is the key to living a successful life here on earth according to God? It is to sum it up, seek me first. Honor me first. Obey me first. Believe me first. Pursue me first. Serve me first. Love me first. Follow me first. I will not be second place in your life. In our text, we have three individuals that encounter Christ. The first one comes to Jesus and he tells him, he says, I will, he's volunteering. He said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus in verse 58 makes a statement about the cost of following him. Essentially saying, if you're going to follow me, uh, you're going to have to give up your comforts. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Count the cost, son, before you say you're going to follow me. Because following me will take you out of your comfort zone. There may not be a sleep number mattress where I'm going. In fact, there may not even be a steady income or a steady living situation. And he says, there will be times when it appears to you that even the birds and the foxes have it better than you. Jesus addresses this because the very principle of following him first can be very uncomfortable. And the second man is asked and invited by Jesus to follow him. Can you imagine the privilege of Jesus looking at you and saying, follow me? This must have been a very exciting moment, and he responds with what seems to be a reasonable response on the surface. He said to another, follow me, but this man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And when you dig a little deeper into the culture, you realize this was not about having a funeral. The story is told of a brilliant young Arab who was offered a scholarship to Oxford or Cambridge, and his answer was, I'll take it after I've buried my father. But at the time, his father was not much more than 40 years of age. This is the idea and the mindset. Here's this father very far from death. I will follow you, but not yet. First, let me. His priority was his family, his career, the business dealings. And Jesus responds to this man in a very direct, matter-of-factly way. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus is not being harsh or crass. He is making a critical point. Son, your priorities are all wrong. Follow me first. Bury him when the time comes. Follow me first. Family comes second. Follow me first. Career comes second. Follow me first. Your education comes second. You're not pursuing evil things, but they will become evil if they take first place in your life. You're now moving me and my will out of first place. And you're substituting it for something temporary. Something that is going to be wasted away. And Jesus is saying to him and all of us, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to rearrange your priorities. I'm calling you to follow me. I'm not going to follow you wherever you want to go. This is what many people are hoping for. Instead of following Jesus, we want him to follow us. We want him to bless our will and our plans. 
And we put everything else first. And then we expect him to follow us, just blessing us along the way. Listen, God is not your genie in a bottle. He is Lord and Savior. He is master and creator of the universe. And he says to us, follow me. In everything, there is a crucial moment. And if that moment is missed, it will most likely not be done at all. This man had a stirring in his heart that God was calling him to something greater. And if he missed this moment, this window of opportunity, he may never get it again. Psychologists tell us that every time we have what they call a fine feeling, what we might call a stirring of the heart, every time your heart is stirred and you do not act on it, the less likely you are to act on it at all. And then they say this, uh, that the emotion becomes a substitute for the action. People come to conference for the stirring, but they never act upon it. And it becomes dangerous because the stirring becomes like a drug. And meanwhile, we're kicking the can of God's calling and will and purposes down the road of our lives. Been coming for 20 years, and now the emotion of conference has replaced the action of doing something and following God. Jesus is saying, follow me now. It's critical with God that it is not just important what we do, but when we do it. That God's plan has a what and a when, and both of them are critical to one another. It became clear to me that I was uh, being handed a baton when I went into the nation of Gabon. It was something that God was already doing. And anybody who's ever stepped into another nation, you realize the privilege. Immediately there's a sobering reality to what you're doing. You're stepping into something God's doing. And it's like you realize God's had these divine appointments and timing all along. And you're simply going to be the one that's going to be there to intercept these people that God's been working on for years. I remember preaching uh, before we had a building. We're on the beach, and we're, I'm preaching to a number of young men that are sitting under a tree, and this young man gets out of a taxi, and he's uh, wandering down near where I'm preaching, and he hears me preaching, and he stops. Uh, and later on that day, he gives his life to Jesus, only to tell us uh, that he had only arrived in the nation five days earlier. And his decision was he was going to go to the beach because uh, he wanted to find some prostitutes that he could uh, start a business with pimping out of his house. He had just arrived in the nation. This was his only direction. What am I going to do here? I know what I'll do. I'll go to the beach, uh, and I'm going to find some girls that could work for me. Uh, I'm going to start to make some money in this nation. Uh, and God said, no, you're going to go to the beach, uh, and you're going to meet a man preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and you're going to give your life to him. And it was a window of opportunity. And I realized in that moment, this is something God is doing. And I just have the privilege of responding and stepping in and going, okay, God, I don't want to screw this up. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, 
and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. There's a timing. There are divine appointments that God has for you, and there's a place and a time he wants you to be. Many times we fail to see the urgency of the timing that Jesus sees. These men are all complacent about following Jesus in a sense. They're, I'm with you, but not yet. First, I have other things to do. The third man approaches Jesus with a desire to follow, but with a condition. Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. This is not one of those requests that will take 40 years like the previous request. It's a little different. This one seems more reasonable. I just need to go home and inform my family, maybe have a going away party. You know, just let them know what I'm doing. I just, you know, I don't want to just leave. <laughs> That'd be rude. Let me just go home and talk to them and, you know, kind of let them know what I'm doing. And, and uh, you know, well, the problem with goodbyes is they can be very emotional and it can take a very long time. I remember being at the airport as we're leaving for the nation of Gabon, and I've got uh, my mom and dad and friends and family and, and, and the tears, and, and, and you're realizing, like, I, I don't know if I'll ever see these people again, and the doubts, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm glad I didn't have this party a month ago. <laughs> I'm glad it's happening when my bags are packed and my tickets are already bought, because I got to get on that plane no matter how I feel right now. This man was in danger of going back to his family and then being talked out of the very thing that he just got talked into, that God just stirred his heart about. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's no room for that. You must respond when I am calling you. You must go when I say go. I just want to give it another year, just one more. I'm going to get around to it, but just not this year. All the stars haven't aligned properly. Can't see Mars, and it's a super moon, and it's just a weird year to go. <laughs> but next year, next year, you mark my word, next year I'm going to do this thing. You keep your calling close enough to touch it and to examine it and to think about it, but not close enough to actually accomplish it. And the words of Jesus to this man are also very telling of how Jesus sees life. He says, no one, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I've already called you. You've already responded. Waste no time in doing what I'm asking you to do. Once you put your hand to the plow, there's no room for looking back. You will never plow a straight furrow if you are constantly looking back. Your direction will be crooked and out of sorts. You can't reach your destination unless your eyes are fixed firmly upon your destination. 
People are constantly looking back at past mistakes, constantly looking back at past failures. And even though God is restoring and redeeming and doing miracle works in our lives, we're looking back at past hurts and pain and bitterness and anger. And all of a sudden, everything becomes a conspiracy in our lives. Nothing can be pure. All of a sudden, we're looking back and this is a problem and that's a problem. And our bitterness takes first place in our hearts over the call of God in our lives. And we're never able to get to the destination. We're never able to reach the place where we're intended to be. See, the will of God and his purposes will be accomplished with or without us. That's the most sobering thing. It's like Elijah with Elisha. Jesus throws the mantle in our direction and then he just keeps walking. He gives us an opportunity and then he leaves us to the consequences of our own decisions. The very next event in Luke records for us Jesus sending out the 70. This is remarkable. It stops in chapter 9, but it continues in chapter 10. There were no chapters when it was originally written. He goes right into this and says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and the place where he himself was about to go. In other words, here's three men, and the context is, not now, but later. I will, but first. And then he goes right into, hey, we're going to move anyway. 72 people are out now. And he sends him out into the harvest field. And then he says this very thing. He says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Look at the context. Why are the workers few? Not because there's not people with good intentions. Not because there's not people that don't want to go or are saying, I will never go. But because people are saying, I will go, but first let me I'm going to go, but later. And he says, the harvest is so plentiful, but the people that are willing to go now are not plentiful. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. In verse 3, he says, now go, now go, now go. There's an urgency. And Jesus is saying, don't kick the can of your calling down the road. Do it now. I've spoken to you. I've moved upon your heart. I have stirred you. Don't let the emotion become a replacement for the action. Look at the context of everything Jesus is sharing. The context is the harvest. And what we realize is that the harvest is far too important to stop for you and I. It'll continue through someone else. I'll never forget reading the tragic story of a fellowship that God was using in the world and The leader was lamenting their tragic downward spiral, that the prosperity that they had as a fellowship led to complacency, and things were being taken for granted, and other things were taking first place. And he made this statement. He said, just as we got large enough to actually make impact with this great commission, we closed our eyes and began to slumber and sleep. We lost the narrative. I want to ask the next generation of privileged people here tonight because we're all privileged to be here tonight. And I want to ask the next generation of privileged people. Our fathers in the faith have laid an incredible foundation for us. Are we going to build upon it or are we going to lay down and sleep on it? 
Are we going to take what they've given us, the opportunities that they have given us that we don't deserve, that they're handing to us? Are we going to take them and say, yes, we're going to run farther and faster? We're going to go further into many more nations and multiply what has happened. We're going to follow Jesus wherever he asks us to go. Or are we going to close our eyes and slumber and sleep and just waste the foundation that has been laid for us? Because I will tell you something, what's been laid for us is just the beginning. This is 50 years of foundation. Can you imagine what God can do from here? Jesus tells the third man in our text, your priorities are all wrong. And if you're not willing to follow me first, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. The issue of priorities is not a small issue for God. It is the issue with God. If you won't place me first, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. If you won't pursue my purposes first, you are in danger of living a wasted life, of bearing the gifts that I've given you, bearing them to my kingdom. Making sure that the principle of first is at work in our life is the greatest protection we have against a wasted life. You know, I was thinking about the tithe, which is another arena of the principle of first, and the tithe is your first 10% of your increase. And uh, it's very interesting. It's not the leftovers, it's the first. And what it does is when you, when you give your tithe, you're protecting yourself from uh, idolatry of money. Money has a spirit. It wants you to worship it. It wants to take first place in your life. And when you say no, you are tithing. You're taking your first 10% and you're saying, I will not worship you, money. I will worship my God. And that tithe protects us. The principle of the first in our tithe protects us from covetousness and idolatry of money. And when we're thinking about the principle of first in general, it protects us from the idolatry and illusion of time and immortality, of thinking that I have all my life to accomplish this. I have 40 or 50 years. I can get to it at some point. We always think that we can do something later, but what if later never comes? What if the second part of your life has already begun? What if instead of living to 80, you're only going to live to 40? If you don't pursue the kingdom of God first, then you may never get around to doing it. You may never get around to doing the most important things. You will never accomplish the things that you were created to accomplish. You may never get to give yourself to the things that lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. James tells us what is life but a vapor. It is here in the moment and it is gone the next. And so many people waste the vapor of their lives. We say to sinners, you're not promised tomorrow while many times living our own lives, presuming upon tomorrow for ourselves. All of life is short in light of eternity. There is no replay. There is no redo. Life is moving swiftly towards eternity. And we will be standing face to face with Jesus sooner than we realize. Richard Evans said the tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon, but that we wait so long to begin it. Evangelist David Ajala was ministering at one of our dramas and in the altar call. And 
as he was ministering, he said something very powerful. He made this statement that we don't know who is old among us. We don't know who is old among us. And he continued to say one of the ways of telling someone's age is by counting the number of years since their birth. I am 14 years old because I was born 14 years ago. But a better way of counting someone's age is by the number of years until their death. If you are 18 and will only live 20 years, then you are a very old individual. And the 70-year-old who has 15 years to live is younger than the 25-year-old who's going to be dead next week. We don't know who is old among us, but God does. And by his mercy, he gives us this opportunity to make things right before it's too late. And the only protection we have from wasting our lives is to say, God, I will put you first in everything I do. From this moment forward, you will be first in my life. Each of the people in our text replacing other things first. And Jesus, in his grace, was correcting them so that they can make the big, avoid the greatest mistake of all, finding themselves standing before God, giving an account for a gifting never used for his glory. You know, Matthew chapter 19 is a familiar story of the rich young ruler, and he comes to Jesus because he's, he feels discontented with life. He is Something is missing. He's a very good man. He is obeying God's laws, but largely he feels uh, unfulfilled. He feels like I'm missing something in my life. And he's asking, how do I find the fulfillment that uh, I is so desperately missing in my life? And what Jesus does is he opens a door for him, a moment that this man could walk through an opportunity of a lifetime. He puts his finger on this man's heart and says, here is the problem. Your money is first, but I want to be first. Go and sell all that you have and follow me. Follow me first. Follow me. But he misses this moment and he walks away sorrowful because it's not what he wanted. You know, he didn't mind doing things that fit with his own program and his own priorities. But once he realized that following Jesus meant that he couldn't control the dynamics of his life, uh, he walked away sorrowful. See, following Christ means that you give up control of the direction you're going. Pastor Carnegie last night preached a masterful message, so powerful on redemption and restoration. And as he was talking about Peter and Peter's failure, and I was contemplating that, my mind kept going down to Peter's actual restoration. And it was interesting because as I thought about it, Jesus comes to Peter and it wasn't like Peter was just, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, he failed and then he's back. There, there was something Jesus was asking of him that was very important to his restoration. And that was that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know why you failed, Peter? Because I wasn't first. 
and I want to restore you, and I want to redeem you, and I don't want you to make the same mistakes that led to this failure, and I want you to learn the lessons, and the greatest lesson Jesus is teaching is, if you want full restoration, uh, then you're going to have to put me first. Uh, You're going to have to seek me first. You're going to have to follow me first. Peter, do you love me more than these? Things were about to get very difficult for Peter. Following Jesus was going to lead him to a hard place. And Jesus goes on and he says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Say, when you were younger, you thought you were in control of life. You lived it as you wanted to. But when you follow me, you never know where I'm going to take you. You know, when the rich young ruler walked away sorrowful, the question is, what was he walking away from? He's walking away from following Jesus. But here's the next question that we have to ask. Where is Jesus going? Jesus is not just walking around aimlessly in the earth uh, with nothing to do uh, and telling us, follow me aimlessly around the earth. Jesus is going to a specific place. He is going into the harvest. He is walking right into the souls of men and the humanity. He is going into the places where the souls are lost. And he is saying, I'm asking you to follow me into the harvest field. I'm going into the nation of Brazil. And I am the Lord of the harvest. And I'm going to bring a harvest here. And I would like you to follow me and help me reap the harvest that I'm going to give you. Jesus is always going towards the harvest. He says, follow me in the context of the harvest. I am going somewhere. I am saving someone. I am going to change a nation. And I would like you to follow me and be a part of me in this. But I don't understand that nation. I don't know the language. Don't worry about that. Follow me. I'm going there first. I'll provide what you need. Well, I don't understand. What about the schools? And are there hospitals there? Don't worry about that. I'm Jehovah Rapha. My Holy Spirit will educate you. (laughs) You'll figure it out. I'm going with you. And because I'm leading you there, I will provide for you there. I will protect you there. I will take care of you there. But I'm going there first. And I'm going to go there with or without you. But I would like you to follow me. There are lost people in this nation. And I need someone to follow me into the harvest field where my heart is beating and my Soul is weeping for humanity that is lost and confused, and the politicians have no answers. Nobody has answers but Jesus Christ. I want to save this nation. I want to transform things. Pastor Alvin shared this morning about getting this call to go to Sierra Leone, not really knowing what's happening. He sets his foot in the nation, and God says, you're home, son. He followed Jesus into the nation of Sierra Leone and helped reap a great harvest. When you go to Sierra Leone right now, there is dominion. Everybody knows who the door church is. That wasn't so 35 years ago. There is dominion. There is a spiritual dominion in the nation 
Because somebody said, I don't know what it is going to be like there. I'm walking into this blind, but I am being led by the Lord of the harvest. I am simply following the Lord of the harvest first over my desires, over my will, over my comforts, over my questions, uh, over anything that might be in my heart. I am going to follow the Lord of the harvest right into the harvest because that's where he's going. Peter asks the question when the rich young ruler walks away. He says, we've left all and we've followed you, Lord. Therefore, what shall we have? Jesus, like Peter saying, man, that guy rejected you. We haven't rejected you, though, Lord. <laughs> We're good, you know. <laughs> We're following you. We got your back, you know. And uh, we accepted your offer, and we're by your side. What do we get out of it? And Jesus says to him, everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother, wife or children or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You know, I left Tucson with one brother and one sister, and I came back from Gabon with hundreds of brothers and hundreds of sisters, people that I'd never met before. The hundredfold is the harvest. That is the hundredfold. It's the harvest. It's what God begins to do in humanity. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. I've got your back. And then he says in verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And what Jesus says is that in eternity, I flip the script. Here on earth, you put me first and everything else after me. To the people here on earth and even to yourself at times, it looks like you're behind. It looks like you're lagging. It looks like you're last. But in eternity, I will flip the script. And those who appear last here will be first for all eternity. You put me first here on earth, and I will put you in first place in eternity. This is a principle that you have to wrestle with your entire life. It's almost not fair. I remember being 14 years old, God placing his calling on my life, and it was sobering. It was very real to me. And I started to try to prioritize my life around his will. And, it, you know, it's, it's easy to do that when there's nothing else to go in first place. <laughs> you don't have anything. <laughs> but see, as, as you're blessed by God, he begins giving you things to, to love. He gives you a spouse says, I want you to love them and I want you to take care of them and lay down your life for them as Christ laid down his life for the church, but don't ever love them more than you love me. And it's a test. Am I still first? He gives you children. He blesses you. I want you to love them and I want you to protect them, but I don't ever want you to love them more than me. And it's almost not fair. Over and over in life, he keeps giving us more. He gives us a congregation of sheep and, 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 and to shepherd and to care for and to love. And he says, but don't love them more than me. This principle will constantly be tested throughout your life at every stage and every age. You get older and all of a sudden, leaving and following Christ might mean leaving your grandchildren. It's easy when you had no grandchildren, no children, no nothing to get up and go, but... As you get older, this gets harder. And, 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 and the enemy's desire is to get you to put anything in first place over God. And you want to stay safe. You say, nothing will ever take first place in my life. But God and his will and his purposes, I will not miss out the opportunity of a lifetime. I want you to bow your heads this evening. We're going to take some time and pray. 
Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.